Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Thoughtful Intentions. I'm your host, Fiona Winch, and I am joined today by Morgan Canham. So Morgan and I met probably about two years ago because we were both in Anthony Apeson's acting class in New York City. Um, and I, she is just such, um, such a light and such a friendly, warm disposition. And so I was totally just drawn to her immediately. And it turned out that actually probably two years before that, Cameron, um, my roommate and dear friend was subletting in the city and I came up to visit her with Paulina and Michaela. Um, and it turns out that she was actually living in Morgan's apartment. And so I did meet Morgan that weekend as well. Um, I guess four years ago now, it feels like it must be more, but I think it was four years ago. Um, so it's just funny how those things work. It's such a small world. So before I give Morgan's bio, I also just wanted to touch on something briefly. Um, and for all you loyal listeners, I really appreciate it. I was just thinking about how different every single episode is, um, especially just going from, you know, for example, my dad's episode to Jonathan's episode to um, to Emily's episode to Shannon's episode to this one. Like they are all so different. Um, and a lot of them touch on the same themes, which I think is just a testament to this central idea that, you know, each path is the right path, which I know my brother will happily debate me on, but a lot of the same themes, very different conversations. So I appreciate everyone who listens and is down for kind of a different vibe every week because that's part of my favorite thing about this. Um, So yeah, I just wanted to kind of mention that it's been on my mind. Um, Anyway, let's get into it. Morgan Canham is an actress, fitness professional, and artist career coach with a passion for inspiring people to live more mindfully and speak their truth. With over a decade in the entertainment industry, a lifetime of practicing mindfulness, and her training as a dance and Pilates instructor, Morgan brings a unique blend of creative expression, discipline, and compassion to everything she does. She is the founder of Wake Up With Soul Rise and the Canham Collective, where she offers group meditation and fitness classes and one-on-one career coaching for artists. Without further ado, here's Morgan. So hello, Morgan. Hi, Fiona. <laughs> it's so good to see you, even just on a screen. <laughs> I know, I agree. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while since I've seen you in person, but um, I have been following you on social media and wanting to talk to you for a while about all of the um, different things you've been up to because it is just incredible to me. So I'm really excited. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. Um, in terms of order of events, I was planning on going through like your mindfulness work and then fitness and then a bit of acting, if that's cool with you. Great. Okay, great. But to start, I'm going to take your lead on this one. Um, and if you don't mind me reading what you actually wrote, cause it was so beautiful and I was so excited if you don't mind. Of course. <laughs> um, so when I, I ask all my guests what uh, they would like to talk about after suggesting what I would want to talk about, 
And Morgan had this beautiful response. Um, She said, my word of the year is vulnerability, which I think is a beautiful place to start. We all have a story, a history and a background and owning that, looking deeply at it and then working to understand ourselves is key to living a more fulfilled life. And everything I do, I try to bring mindfulness to it, whether it is just how I live my life or that incorporates into acting, coaching, and teaching fitness. So I'd love to talk about how all of that fuses together, being our authentic self, speaking our truth, and finding mindfulness in everything we do. So I just thought that was absolutely lovely. Um, and I was excited to hear what why that came up for you. Um, so I, we're just going to get right into it. <laughs> um, and I was hoping you could tell me a little bit more about what that's meant for you, especially in the context of this year. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's so funny. I do, um, I do a vision board at the end of the year, every year. So usually I do them in December and I, um, I always just like, you know, cut out of magazines and things that draw my attention. I'm like, yeah, okay. I like that. I'm not very methodical with it in the sense that like I decide what I want to look for. I just kind of let it happen. And so I create these vision boards every year and I found this, like, I'm like looking over at my vision board. It's over here (laughs) and it says, maybe being powerful means being vulnerable. And my gosh, I just like saw that. And I was like, very struck by it. And I was like, yeah, this is my word of the year vulnerable because I think so often, you know, historically we hear this word vulnerable and it's like a negative word and it's like, Ooh, vulnerable. Um, and I think that more recently we're starting to hear this word be more commonly talked about and perhaps accepted to be whatever someone might call vulnerable for me, I find it, it aligns with just being like so honest and just, um, you know, saying the hard things and having hard conversations and being honest with yourself so much so that perhaps it's like a little uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? And like not uncomfortable where you're not safe, but just uncomfortable where you're like pushing these boundaries for yourself in order to grow a little further and grow, go a little deeper with like who you are and your place in the world. And oh my gosh. It's, did you uh, start to notice how it kind of came into practice, I guess, like as the year progressed? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, a little in my history, um, yeah. I, uh, my mom is Buddhist. So mm-hmm. I was raised um, going to Sangha, which is, I guess you could equate that to going to church, right? You're meeting with your community and sitting in practice and studying and mm. learning together and coming together as a, as a community, sitting in meditation. And so I grew up doing that and it's very unconventional. You know, I, I wasn't raised in the church necessarily. I was raised in this kind of very different um, upbringing and, and I rejected it for a long time as a kid. I was like, Oh, I'm not sitting in meditation. I don't want to go to yoga. I'm like, you know, I was very hyper and I wanted to dance and like jump and run. And I was like very energetic child. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I got older, you know, something I said was just, we all have a history of past uh, life experience and it's nothing to be ashamed of. Right. It's like, Um, We put a lot of shame on ourselves for our history and 
being able to look at that and say, okay, well, this is what made me who I am is a, a powerful tool for us. And um, so in that growing up in this kind of world, when I reached a certain point in my life, I was like, I need something, you know, I was having um, severe anxiety and dealing with depression and all of this different, very overwhelming emotional things that I didn't understand was stemming from things that happened in my earlier life. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I started to like, look for resources to help me find some grounding. Cause I was just like up here and like mm-hmm. out there and over here and back there and underneath. And so I started finding my own meditation practice. And my mom gave me a book um, pieces every breath, which is a Thich Nhat Han book. Um, he's a Buddhist uh, leader for anyone who maybe is not familiar with him. And I got this book and it's so simple. It was like talking about brushing your teeth and waking up in the morning and just like putting your feet on the ground. And I was like, okay, like whatever. And then, you know, the brushing the teeth one really struck me and it's like, you know, talked about the water flowing from the faucet. Okay. And then that water comes from the pipes and those pipes come from underground and then they're filtered through the city and they come from the mountains and the Catskills for New York. Right. And then like that comes from a spring and right. You think back to like where this water comes from, Hmm. like simply brush our teeth. And I started, it really like changed my whole perspective on life in a very, it was very sudden for me, this kind of like, it was like an epiphany of like, oh my gosh. And not that I'm going to say like, I was like, oh, I'm enlightened or anything like that. But it just, I started looking at things very differently and it gave me more understanding, I think, for other people and where other people were coming from and like Mm -hmm. where I was coming from and life and it just started to slowly trickle into everything I was doing. And yeah, I, yeah, it's, you know, yeah, it's, it's no, I understand what you are explaining only because I had a similar epiphany, I would say in Anthony's class. So, um, Morgan and I were both in class with Anthony Abeson and I believe you, I, I am no longer, but you're still with Anthony as right. Um, I'm taking a little break, like for the last couple of months, but hopefully I'll yeah. be back. No, but, um, so one of the assignments at one point was to learn a song in your ancestral language, um, with the intention that like everyone is connected to the universe through your ancestors and just like understanding that the universe is inside of you. Um, and doing that song, I, and I, I shared this in an earlier episode of my podcast, but um, I did a song in Gaelic that I learned from a family friend who um, is a native speaker. And I've sang in Gaelic before. I've sang Irish songs. Well, actually, I'd never sang in Gaelic before. That's actually very important to the story, but I've been <laughs> singing Irish songs for a long time because my dad is an Irish musician. Um, but that was the first time that I really understood like, this isn't about me. Like I'm a part of a bigger picture here. Like I am a vessel for this message and for this history, but, um, it's not, it's not just about me. It's like, it's all, it's all this one big (laughs) picture. And it was, it was really both liberating and humbling in a lot of ways, you know? Um, 
and just peaceful. Like, I don't know how to really explain it. So I don't, I know it's slightly different, but, um, sort of similar epiphany. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I absolutely understand. I feel like that's something this year has brought up. I think for so many people is like, we go through life and especially in New York city, right. We like truck along, we hustle, hustle, hustle. We work so hard every day. We don't sleep. Uh, you know, we're like broke mm-hmm. and whatever, <laughs> you know, like we're running around like crazy people and we don't, we get sucked into like maybe these cycles that are not healthy for us. And, and a lot of that comes from past experience. I think, you know, putting on us a certain expectation for ourselves, and this time that we've been like forced to literally stop everything we're doing has I think helped a lot of people realize, oh, okay, I can't just keep going on autopilot because I don't, life is, is, life is short, right? And, mm-hmm. and life is bigger than like what we might think. And it's like. So how oh. long did it take you to come to this mindfulness? If like, it sounds like it's a part of both your nature and your nurture, like Oh, you know, how long did it take you to, to come to that? And when did you decide to make it part of your life in more of like a professional capacity? Yeah. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned, I've been practicing, you know, mindfulness and, um, Buddhism in the plum village tradition for most of my life. Um, and then I got this book from my mom. I think I was, uh, this had to have been like, Oh gosh like maybe eight or nine years ago. <laughs> um, and so in that, um, this has been just like a journey that's kind of evolved over the last, yeah, I want to say like eight years ish. Um, and since moving to New York, uh, I remember one of my girlfriends was like, you don't get angry about anything. Can you just get mad about something? And I was like, yeah, but I understand what's happening and where, where they're coming from. Like, I can't get angry about it. She's like, but please just be mad about it. Like, Maybe I, I do need to be mad about certain things. Right. But I found, okay. So I was bartending before the, the pandemic started. Right. Um, I've been in the arts for most of my life. And um, when I moved to New York, I got a job in a bar and was like bartending vicious cycle for many years here. This is when, um, my roommate first came to know you. Oh, when Cameron first met you, Mm -hmm. that was pretty, I don't know how early that was for you, but my, when I first moved to New York, I think I, in like within a month of moving to New York city. Okay. Gotcha. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, no. It's, it's so funny though. It's true. Right. Like Mm -hmm. this many years ago and I got into this cycle of like bartending and being, you know, harassed at my place of work and, you know, emotionally and, and verbally harassed. And, and then, you know, before the pandemic, I was like, I can't, uh, I have, I can't continue like this. Right. I was like, this is really unhealthy for me. And I had found, um, this method of Pilates that I loved. And I was like, okay, I'm going to become a Pilates instructor shutdown happened. I was supposed to audition for this company. And then obviously that all got pushed to the side. Mm -hmm. And while I was in quarantine, 
you know, I really was like, I have to do something. And, um, I just had a lot of people reaching out to me and asking me for help, whether it was with their acting, um, whether it was like, uh, a lot of like actor artist questions, like dancers asking me questions and like, just all kinds of stuff. People talking to me about like stuff going on in their life. I was like, Whoa, I'm having a lot of people reach out to me and like confide in me about things. I don't know. It was a really interesting time. And I, I was like, okay, I have, I work with a life coach, um, this woman, Aurelia Michael. And the first woman I met her, we've been working together for years. She was like, you're a coach, you're a coach. And I was like, okay, whatever. And then the, the pandemic hit and I was like, yeah, I am a coach. Mm. People are asking me for all this help with their careers and like all this stuff. And I was like, yeah. okay, I'm going to lean into this. And I did. And I founded my coaching business through that. And I guess all of this is to say through this time in the pandemic, it's really helped me to align, I think, with what's really important to me, which is living mindfully living presently, knowing that everything is finite and everything is impermanent and knowing that we've all experienced hardship and we're all just trying to do the best we can. And this influences everything else that I do, right? Like through my art, through my coaching of artists and trying to help people understand as well that like, we can do anything that we want with our life. We can, we have to take steps and it's going to be challenging. And there are things that like might not go the way we think most of the time, right? They'll go somewhere else. And it was so helpful for me to literally write down my values in the beginning of the pandemic and then realizing, um, which kind of like friends or family I butt heads with because of whether or not they also value what I value, you know, because I feel like I was generating some conflict sometime simply because not everyone's going to share your values and that's okay. You just have to decide whether or not you're cool with that. I think that came up for a lot of people during the pandemic. You see yeah. that in relationships, um, you know, a lot of relationships ending, right. Yeah. Um, or, or otherwise getting stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, we all learned a lot more about ourselves and what's important to us. And, um, and it's true. Like, at the moment you start to come to terms with what's truly important to yourself when you really acknowledge that and assess it. And then you look at the relationships around you, the ones that do not align with that will slowly start to crumble away. Yeah. And there is nothing else. There's nothing you can do about that because when you start to elevate your life and become more aware the people around you are forced to elevate with you or they are going to fall off and they're no longer going to be in your life. Yeah. It's disappointing, but it's important. I think. Yeah. It's for me, something I've really, really had to come to terms with this year, both in romantic relationships and familial relationships and friendships this year. I, you know, I was like, okay, here's what I'm going to tolerate in relationships. And here's what I'm not. Yeah. And that, me has been a long journey through therapy of like really Boundaries. diligent, yeah, diligent work in therapy. Yeah. And that's not like, you know, it, it's interesting. I think that, you know, we can see or perceive humans that are like very positive and happy as mm-hmm. like, oh, they haven't experienced anything or, oh, they're just, you know, right. Like we may have this, this rose colored glaze. Mm-hmm. 
And I think it's important to acknowledge that getting to that space authentically comes from deep inner work. Yeah. Deep, deep inner work and like really looking at the hard stuff and acknowledging it and facing it. And it sucks. It's so uncomfortable and hard. And well, thank you for sharing that. That has been a part of your journey because I know that's important for people to know, especially I imagine when you begin to coach someone, you know, it's just letting them know like, hey, like I get it. You know, I've done this work too and I'm happy to lend a hand now. Yeah. Well, and, and even in you saying that, it's like for me, when I began coaching, I was like a foundation of my coaching business is being able to give to others what I needed that I did not have. And now on the other side of that, especially as an actor, first starting out in New York, there was so much that I was like clueless. Like, man, if only I had a little support there, that would have really assisted me. And so now I feel like it's like, I want to give that back to others through my experience. It's funny that you say that because I literally, I'm reading um, a picture of Dorian Gray right now. And there was literally a quote that I just read today that some, something along the lines of people are really fond of giving away what they need the most themselves. Um, so it's just, it's funny you mentioned that. Yeah. So anyway, um, so wake up with soul rise. Yeah. Where did that idea come from? Yeah. So, um, I love, uh, the morning. I'm a big morning time person. I, um, I don't know. It's my favorite time of day. I'm the most awake, most energized first thing in the morning. And again, during the pandemic, um, I am part of a community called AML. This is through my life coach, Aurelia Michael. And she was doing these challenges to keep people like doing something because we were all going wild in our minds and in our house. And um, so she started this 30 days of challenge and you just pick a challenge, anything you want to do 30 days of. And I had noticed that I was getting really, really bad with my consumption of media. I was like getting really like obsessive with my cell phone and waking up and just like spiraling first thing in the morning, because what else was I to do? Right. We were like living in and still are, but like at that time, early pandemic was really confusing and we were just kind of floating about. And so I did 30 days of mornings with myself is what I called it. Um, and I did a morning routine challenge for myself. Wow. And so I was like, okay, every morning I'm going to wake up. I'm not going to look at my phone. I'm going to journal, meditate, make my coffee, read, relax, do yoga. God, I wish I did that. I wish- uh, and I did it for a month. And then I did it for a, a second month. I did a challenge with AML for, I think like 10 months straight. I did a different challenge. Wow. Yeah, it was wild. It kept me, it kept me really focused. And so in that, here's the, this was the, the lead up. Mm-hmm. So I did that challenge. And then the next month I did like a voiceover challenge because I'm a voiceover artist as well. And then the next month I did, um, oh, I think like a mindfulness challenge where I was working on my own mindfulness practices. And then I did like, I don't know, creative or something. 30 days of creativity where I was going to like mm-hmm. just do anything creative to keep me juiced up or something. And then in that, I was like, oh my gosh, I need to, you know, people are asking me about this once again, right? It's like social media, media is a, an interesting tool because you do get feedback. It's a double-edged right? sword. It is. It yeah. is. Like you, but in terms of business, you get feedback of like what people yeah. are asking 
anymore. Like if they're really asking for something like you can provide. Right. Mm -hmm. And so as a, um, you know, creating a business that was really helpful. I was like, Oh, right. So I started soul rise within all of this, which is, um, I was doing daily guided morning practices, um, via Vimeo. So I have a library on Vimeo still, um, of daily meditations and journal prompts and different foundational practices of mindfulness. So how to, how to do seated meditation, what is stream of consciousness journaling? What are these different practices and how to do them? So I gave these tools for people to create this kind of blueprint for their ideal morning routine to help you find your foundations, right? Like how we start our day really impacts the rest of how we move through the day. So that's how Soul Rise came to be. I currently am um, revamping, I think, what it's going to be moving forward, whether that is, I hope, a live class because it's, um, uh, I was doing Soul Rise live every month. So it's a yeah. live meditation class visualization meditation and movement and kind of intention setting for the the month so let's see where it goes from here uh, soul rise is still alive and kicking good and you were you were collaborating with a few other professionals for yeah. those classes right yeah i was doing a live uh ig live series for months and months yeah. during the pandemic which was really cool connected with mental health professionals, yoga professionals. I had uh, two different life coaches on there. I had a therapist, nutritionist, all kinds of stuff. It was really that, fun. I feel like that's like one silver lining is just being able to connect with other people who are yeah. professionals in this space and just are also happen to be sitting at home, you know, it's been conversations amazing. you would never be able to have. Never have them. It's so yeah. great to able to connect in that way and, and to bring like informed conversations and conversations about like what's happening in the world. Because I think we forget that we're all, we tend to all experience very similar things. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know about you, but this week, everyone I've been surrounded by all last week, whatever was like feeling super funky. And I was like, yeah, everybody around me is feeling this way. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's it's weird how that happens and people have different forms of expressing it but it you know it does boil down to similar feelings and experiences. So it's nice that you get to observe that now. Do you have to like what advice do you usually give for people that are hesitant to start like their own mindfulness journey or um or are just generally new to it? Uh I think the best advice that's ever given to, been given to me was we are all beginners always. Hmm. So I think with meditation, particularly it is a practice and some days your mind is racing and some days you sit down and, and your mind is all over the place. And we have to remember that it's a practice. Mm -hmm. And so every day is a new practice. And so you always just start again and begin again. And, and there's no right or wrong way to do it to meditate, you know, there's meditation and then there are daily mindfulness practices that we can have, um, you know, whether that's mindful consumption of what we're eating, what we're drinking, you know, how we interact with people. Um, that really feels like a, um, uh, 
I don't know how to say this. It's kind of like uplifted by just like a lifestyle of forgiveness in a way, just like forgiving. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like that's the word I'm thinking of when you're saying those things. Yeah. I mean, and that's like, that's compassion, that's empathy, that's understanding. And those are the foundational roots of Buddhism. And within Buddhism, right, there are these mindfulness practices, there are the aspects of, you know, I find, you know, this, it's a way of living rather than saying a religion, right? Like this is, it's a way of life. I studied, um, I studied world religions in college at one point and loved, loved that course. Um, and I remember, I vividly remember when I learned about like the three marks of existence in Buddhism and impermanence just like blew me away, blew me away. And I can't, I I definitely cannot explain it well, but fascinating and really, um, opening. Well, and it helps us, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh, he says that mindfulness is not a tool, it's a journey and, or it's a path mm-hmm. um, that you walk every day. And I do think in a way it is, it is the same thing, this path and this tool, right? It's like, we walk this path every day so that when we reach those days that are really hard, we have something to support us and Mm -hmm. looking at life through a lens of impermanence can really help because we grasp so hard. And, you know, I experienced this a lot this year and going through some really challenging relational things. And I was like, man, I don't want to let this go. I don't want to let this go. And my Buddhist mind, this like side of me was like everything, you know, like you can't hold on to things so hard because Mm -hmm. everything, impermanent and you don't know you don't know that was kind of like how it was explained to me is like for example this desk is like you know seeing it at face value as a desk like if I put my happiness in this desk and then it's gone tomorrow I'm going to be disappointed but it was never meant for my happiness because it was meant to be a desk yeah yeah I don't know how um how correct that is, but that's how it was partially explained to me. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's completely valid. And I feel like the, you make a great point of like putting your happiness in this thing. It's like, yes, absolutely. We put our, you know, our happiness does come from so many different places and an experience with someone we love or uh, a pleasant, you know, encounter all of that in it it adds to our happiness, but it's not the end all be all. And I think when we're able to look at the experiences in our lives as honestly, like learning tools, they're like learning experiences, then we can like let things go a a little bit more easily, or at least more, we're more aware that we need to let these things go. Right. Right. It's being conscious of it is the first step being aware that like, okay, I know this isn't going to last forever. So let me enjoy it right now in this moment. Yeah. Oh, that, that is hard though. So hard. It's so hard. It's hard whether you're like aware of it or not. Yeah. Yeah. It's just in human nature. I think to like, to want that for a long time, (laughs) Um, kind of like a fear 
almost a fear tactic. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing that bit. I, so, so at this point, of course, I know that you practice mindfulness for all of those reasons. Um, but I also know that you're deeply invested in physical health. Um, and I know that you're a Pilates instructor as you shared, but it seems to me like fitness has always been a part of your life. Um, so I was hoping that you could talk a little bit about your experience as a professional dancer and how that kind of informed this path. Yeah, absolutely. So I started dancing as a small child. I was gosh, like two or three, I was doing little baby ballet and did gymnastics, um, competitively for some years as a, as a small child, Mm -hmm. I was like, running. And so I've always been very physically active since I was a small kid. Um, always had a lot of energy, always was expressing myself physically. And, um, and then I started, you know, right out of high school dancing professionally. Um, and I was choreographing and teaching and like working music festivals and these big like events and, doing live shows over here and there and music videos and backup dancing. And it was so fun. It was so fun. It was a whirlwind. Um, I really had such a fantastic time working as a professional dancer. Um, and I ended up moving to Miami and working there in Latin television, which was super cool. Um, you know, dancing for all of these different Latin artists and, it was wild. It was, a, it was so much fun. And, um, in that, you know, I was obviously like very physically expressive mm-hmm. and I wasn't as aware at that time of how much it had to do with my mental health as well. Um, and as I got older, I ended up suffering a few injuries. And so I was no longer able to continue dancing professionally, um, which was okay. You know, I had already, come to a place in my dance career that I was transitioning into acting and I was like already kind of letting it go. And the world as it would have it said, okay, you're done. Your knees don't want to do this anymore. And we're out of here. Mm-hmm. So I stopped dancing. Um, and I, you feel like mentally prepared to stop though. Like I, I know once your mind might tell you that, but I feel like that that has to be a really difficult mental transition. Yeah, it was huge because dance was like my biggest love of my life. And I was like, I just want to be a professional dancer and own a dance studio and, you know, be on tour forever and be an artistic director. And like, I was like all and all wrapped up in that. And then when I found, I found acting and I was like, oh, I think I actually have something I love even more. How is wow. that? Yeah. And like, I that have been dancing awesome. for, you know, I danced for 20 years. Yeah. Literally, more than that, which is weird to say, but it's true. Um, and so, yeah, it was hard. It was hard. I had told myself I was ready, but then when I was forced to not dance, I was like, oh, wait, what? Well, I just think too, like, you're still so young when that happens like that that just I think would take like a super mature mind to really you know accept and even then I can imagine it's hard so I I think it just must be that much harder to be young as most dancers are when that kind of day comes yeah it's true I mean your dance career 
if you're lucky, you'll have a dance career for your life. And some people are lucky to have that um, and want that. Um, but I think also it like served its purpose. I, um, I went to this um, book event a few years ago with this guy, Chip Connolly. He was like one of the first boutique ho- hoteliers in the United States. And he actually um, helped Airbnb get its feet off the ground. Oh, wow. And wrote a book about how there's this new generation or not new generation, but this new gap, like before, uh, you know, the generation before us and our parents, they would retire at 60 and they're done working because they didn't live as long. Now we live longer. And so now there's these like 60 year olds who are meant to retire previously, but now they're not retiring, but now they're Mm -hmm. kind of out of date. And so now they have this, this time where they probably got another like 15 years of professional work in them but they are done with their industry. And so he talked about how you, you have like five careers in your lifetime. And I, and hearing that from him, really, I was like, man, yeah, like dance, it had its life. I'm done with that now. And it was, it helped me put That's it. Cool. To yeah. 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 So. And, and now acting came along. Yeah. And, and I found acting through dance. So like how lucky I am. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess, could you have imagined this for yourself? Like say 10 years ago? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Ten years ago, uh... <laughs> like how does like where oh. you are today kind of like line up with what your expectation was originally? Because, you know, as I mentioned, part of the inspiration for this podcast has also been how drastically an artist's journey can change, you know, and, and for, for good reasons, you know, but just how unpredictable that can be. Well, and 10 years ago, I had just gotten my first agent. So that was my first experience being repped as a professional dancer. And I got signed across the board. Wow. As answer, I had no tra- acting training whatsoever. And I got thrown into the industry. Oh my gosh. Like I had already been working professionally, but in a different market. And so I, I hadn't been in like the real deal agency audition mm-hmm. commercial, real big SAG jobs, like, holy crap. I got thrown into that. And so I found acting through auditioning for acting jobs. That's so interesting. I didn't. I don't, I, I don't know that I have met anyone that has had that experience. It was wild. Like I went out for an, a commercial. And also, as someone who's met you as an actor, would have never known. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Like that's how I, that's how I was, I was, I had a, a casting director basically scout me and he was like, okay you've auditioned for me a few times. Uh, let's get you some training because I think you could actually work. And I was like, Oh, okay, great. And I like started training and he's like, do you want to be an actor? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> like I, really I wanted to be an actor, but I was always the dancer. Yeah. So my sister did theater as a kid and I was the dancer in the plays. So mm-hmm. when someone actually was like, yeah, you're an actor. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And so I started transitioning. And so yeah, no, like I had no idea I was going to be living in New York City. Never mind living in Brooklyn. I live in Brooklyn, by the way. I'm in Brooklyn too. I love Brooklyn. It's I love great. it. It's great. But like I had no idea. No, I thought I would be living in Los Angeles, dancing for Britney Spears, which I got, you know, 
I didn't dance for Britney, but I danced for some pretty freaking huge artists. And I'll tell you, like my dance dreams were fulfilled Yeah, in a different, in a way I didn't know that that's how they were going to be fulfilled, you know? So what are some of the acting dreams then? Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, you know, when you say that it's interesting because acting such a long journey. Mm-hmm. Like dances, right? And I think acting is even longer. And for me, ultimately, um, I write and produce and direct as well. And so for me, it's like that's you know, I've got a grand plan over here. <laughs> I, as I put my hand up and like whisper to you, I've got uh-huh. this grand plan. but you know, I think in everything I do, let me just put it this way. Sure. I want it all to align with this overall view that I have on life of telling your story and, and being vulnerable and, and being honest and like doing what you want. And so within that, with my acting, I hope to tell stories that are coming from a place of vulnerability, that are coming from a place of educating people through entertainment about mental health, about these true stories of people experiencing, you know, hardships. I think there's so many stories to be told, whether through the female lens, um, you know, through people who are underserved. I think there's so much, oh, there's so much we can do with entertainment. Yeah. What I want to do. It's funny because I often, I'm very like, naturally I'm very bright person. Mm-hmm. I think I'm like, yes, I'm very excited and energetic. And so I, as an actor, I get placed into comedic spots very easily. Um, mm-hmm. I have a natural tendency towards that. And I think you probably maybe feel a little similar. You experience this as well. I don't know. Um, a little bit. Yeah. 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 So I'm, um, but it's not what I am passionate about. I'm passionate mm-hmm. about these true deep, you know, stories that, uh, so is that what you tend to like write as well? Yeah, it's definitely, I have a screenplay I've been developing for a few years that I'm like, okay, it's, yeah, I just, cool. I don't want to rush it though, you know? So, and, and gosh, I've been, um, have you read big magic? Elizabeth? Yes. You know, I read it because of our class's recommendation, like at that time, someone brought it up. Yeah. Someone brought it up to, um, like in passing during class and I was like, okay. And then I read it and I was like, it's on my top 10 favorite books. Yeah. Me too. Well, in that book, Liz Gilbert talks about like an idea that maybe is not for you. And so I do look at how ideas are alive, right? Yeah. 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 And like idea is alive, it's living, but, but I know that it is in my work I'm doing on myself and my life and through what I'm doing right now, it's all serving this story that I've been writing for years. And I only feel closer to it now and closer to understanding what it truly is meant to do. Mm. Um, I, I had a conversation with a producer friend years ago now because the pandemic made time kind of like erase. Yeah, sure. <laughs> And I told him, I said, if I tell one story, if I make one film in my life, like this is it. And so I'm just. I liked that grand plan. 
Yeah. So good to me. let's see like how it all feeds into one another, but that is fair. That's fair. Well, well, that's awesome. And so because of all this, you now, um, have also the Canon collective. I know where you do coach others in acting in part, of course, you cover a lot of other things. Um, and when I was looking at that site, you said that you want to share with others what you wish you knew when you started. Um, so without giving all of your secrets away, I was just wondering like what some of those things you wish you knew were. Well, I think we all, oh gosh, especially in the world of acting, right? We just want to be seen. We want to be seen. And whether that is literally, we want to be seen in an audition room, or we just want to be seen for who we are and, and what we're actually here for and like what we're able and capable of and, and what we're passionate about. And I think for so many of us, we try and try and try for so long to just be seen and get an audition and get, find some kind of like in that we let go and forget of like why we're doing this in the first place. And we forget what it is that we want. And I wish someone had told me, what do you want? Not what is the industry? What do you think the industry wants of you? Like, what do you want? Right? Do you think like, you would have had an answer though? Um, I, I think I've always known because I can look back on it and say, yeah, I've always been like, I want to be taken more seriously. I want to be taken seriously. Like this was this thing I always felt, but I was like, but you know, the world sees me this way. And so I can't, and I can't. Well, cause that was my struggle a bit. Cause I think I probably definitely knew somewhere in me what I wanted, but it felt more like at least in this profession, it's dependent on other people giving permission. And so, um, or just simply how other people perceive you or see you is prioritized over how you see yourself. Um, at least that's what I thought when I was younger. And that made it really hard for me to know what my goals were or knew what I like to know what I wanted. Um, cause I, kind of thought that other people would decide for me, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. And it is up to us. Yeah. It's up to us what we put out into the world. And we have this beautiful tool, also double-edged sword. That is social media. That is mm -hmm. our casting profiles. That is our portfolio. That's up to us what our portfolio looks like. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, we get to decide what we're putting out there. And of course we can look at, you know, our natural, what I do with my clients is look at like who you are as a person, truly, right? Like mm -hmm. we all have these different sides of ourselves. And so as an artist, we're not just this one thing, right? Like you'll see actors playing a multitude of roles, but it's just because these are these different sides of their personality. Mm -hmm. And so line, right? Like who we actually are, these different sides of us with how that lines up with like the projects we want to work on and, and where we want to work in the industry and what kind of stories we want to tell. Because if you're like over here, like, okay, yeah, I want to do comedy. But you're like, Oh, but everyone sees me like this. It's like, no, but what do you want? Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're a comedian then great. Let's go with that and move right. from here. Right. Cause it's just Get your monologues or your sides ready and yeah. present that to the world instead. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it is up to us, the materials we work on and, 
So I work a lot with my clients, which is interesting. A lot of my clients are dancers who have transitioned into acting. A lot mm. of them. Um, yeah, which is so funny to me. I'm like, yeah, go That's figure. That's cool though, because then you like really can tap into what they're feeling. And yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and I think you bring up a great point. We don't always know what we want and that can change also, but at least we have some kind of pathway where it's like, yeah, okay. I want to explore this. Well, I think it also changes with like exposure and with language. You know, if I had known at the time, but I just didn't have the language or the exposure to that thing, then that's just harder for me as like a young person to figure out. But the second, even with the pandemic that, um, you know, I started getting exposed to more lifestyles, more industries, more language to express my interests and myself and uh, my goals. That was such a game changer. And I feel like this totally also stems just from like equality and education and just, you know, access to those kind that kind of information. But um, it's really fascinating how your goals can change when you just have those words. Yeah. And, and, and with life experience comes knowledge and understanding. And so we really can only, man, this has been coming up a lot for me is like, we do the best. We do the best with what we know right now. Like Mm -hmm. we don't know what we'll learn tomorrow, but we know what we know right now and we'll do the best we can with it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's the weirdest feeling. And it's so, I think it was that much harder this year because you really didn't know. I still don't know what next week, like I know in theory what next week looks like, but you know, this past year has made me a bit of a skeptic in some ways of, you know, well, we'll see (laughs) that can serve me. Well, it can also, you know, if I choose to see it negatively, it can be a downer, but, um, yeah, just working with the information in, in this moment and then kind of being agile when that information changes. Yeah, absolutely. So it takes a lot of practice. Yeah. Well, and we need, you know, we need support in life. And I think that's another thing that's come out of this time. It's like community is so important and having someone that you can be vulnerable with and be open with and be honest about like what's scaring you and where you're like running, you know, amok. And I think that's something with my coaching that I really, really value. And I think my clients value is having someone to talk to about these things and talk through and plan. Cause and- what, no, sorry. Sorry. I didn't mean to. No, no, no. I was just going to say without it, we just kind of like, we're like, well, I want to do this, 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 this. And it's like, ah, and then we get overwhelmed. It's like, yeah. So yeah. I I imagine that that extends to your, um, work at SLT too. Is that, that's what that, I, I said that right. Right. Yeah. SLT. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, it's interesting with, uh, with SLT as well. I think fitness is so mental. I tell my clients all the time, I'm like, this workout is mostly mental because it's just, it's uncomfortable, right? It's like, you're like working so hard for 50 minutes and you have to get into the mental space that like, okay, I'm here to work so, so, so hard. And I'm here to 
have someone push me a little bit further today and push myself. And that side of things is really interesting as well, because all of this, Fiona, all of it is connected to like our (laughs) space. It really is right. It's like, we have the power to look at all of these things we do as an opportunity for growth. Mm -hmm. Like that's how I look at SLT as well. It's how I look at my coaching. It's how I look at my own acting career. I'm like, okay, I'm learning a little bit every time I tell my clients in SLT this all the time. I say, look, you do, we do like maximum burnout on one side of the body. So you'll burn out your entire left leg and then we'll do the right leg. So -hmm. when you get to the right leg, you already know what you're about to do Mm -hmm. for better or for worse. For some people that gets them in their head and they're like, oh no, I have to do that again. Or (laughs) Oh, great. Okay, cool. I know what's going to happen. I can mentally prepare myself. Mm. So, but I already see more of the former. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> but I see on the second side, people already get into the move faster. They right. already self-adjust. It's one of my favorite moments in class. I'm like, look, you got in that without me telling you what to do. Mm. Right? Like we learn a little bit with everything we do. We get a little bit more knowledge and, and it's yeah. self-awareness. Like it's your body, like putting your body into a specific shape. And you've only done it one other time and you just did it again. You got it. One of my like favorite things about like, I I can't believe I'm going to say this, but one of my favorite things about working out, which, you know, (laughs) it's kind of a, kind of an oxymoron, but, um, I do love the push because, you know, it's, it's pretty immediate evidence of like, I can do hard things, you know? Cause like, it's over before you know it. And then it's like, oh, I, an hour ago, didn't think I would get through that. And then here we are, you know? So being able to take that in different parts of my life, you know, like, okay, I can do hard things. The evidence might not show up as, as in an hour, but, um, it's, I've seen it, you know? And, and it's so true because at the end of like an SLT class, I'll hear people say, Oh, I, I always ask, how are you feeling? How you feel at the end? And they're like, well, it sucked when I was doing it, but I feel great now. And I'm like, right. Yeah. To yes. Right. Like mm-hmm. we look at that and we're able to say, yeah, I just pushed myself so freaking hard. And it was perhaps uncomfortable, not to the extent that you're in injuring or endangering yourself, but right. push yourself past your perceived limit to see where you can find that mental and physical growth, it translates outside of the room. You hear this in yoga all the time, right? Like your practice on the mat translates into your life. Mm-hmm. And it is the same, I think, with any fitness modality because you've got physical discipline and mental discipline coming into play and connect yeah. with the mind-body, right? Like your breath, the activation of your muscle, the different parts of our body holds different stresses. Mm-hmm. Right. And like I found for me why I'm so drawn to physical practice is because it is an emotional release for me. Mm-hmm. So when there are weeks where I will work out every day, there are weeks where I don't do that at all. Right. Yeah. I know if I'm feeling the need to exercise that much, something's up. Something's Interesting. Up. Yeah. 
something is up for me. And so it's become a really powerful tool for me. That's cool. My mental space as well. Do you feel like, you know, as someone who did dance for so long and was so in tune with your body, does this feel like different to you? Like a, a different in tune with your body, like listening to it in that capacity? Um, I've gotten much better with that because as a dancer, uh, it's very, it's very vigorous and grueling and we're, we're a little masochistic dancers. Um, we're a little <laughs> ourselves. and working out for me, my own personal journey as a client, I've tried to become much more aware of when I'm pushing too much mm-hmm. for the wrong reason. Yeah. Because the reason needs to be to make me feel good, not to punish myself for mm, yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I feel like I just started getting better at, you know, doing that, listening to my body. And the last two weeks, I literally, I didn't work out at all. I just, I, I felt like it would actually probably hinder me, you know, or my day. Um, yeah. I, I don't know what was going on, but I just was like, cool with resting. And I was like, this is what I need right now. But and it that, took me a long time to get there. It's so important. Right. Yeah. And it's not something that's easy. We're not just like naturally, you know, we might be intuitively like connected to ourselves, but being aware of how all that is connected is not as blatantly obvious as we might think. Yeah. Like you said, like realizing that you needed to rest and that that's not always something that you realized before is a big, it's a big thing. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I'm yeah. Oh, God, <laughs> honestly, could probably do it more frequently. <laughs> I'm like, this is just the beginning of me listening to the rest, the rest calls, the calls to rest, whatever. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. Well, I don't want to keep you too long, um, but I'm really like just so um, I don't even know the word for it. Like happy seems too simple, but just very happy that you've like created these spaces of community to be able to practice these things, whether it's with Wake Up With Soul Rise, SLT or the Canem Collective and everything. Just it's so important. and. Um, you just absolutely also radiate just like trust. Like, I don't know. I feel like people probably tell you all the time that you're just like a very trustworthy human. Um, Everyone's secrets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I am, I'm, you're just the perfect person for the job and I'm, I can't wait to see what else you do in that capacity. Which I appreciate it. So yeah, much. of course. Please, before I let you go too, can you just let people know where they can find you? Yeah. Um, so you can really find all of my primary stuff just on my Instagram at Morgan V. Canum. Um, and then through there, I have a couple other different pages. Um, you can check out my services there though. And I have a link tree in my bio um, to find out about one-on-one coaching my classes, meditation, Pilates, the whole shebang. Oh my gosh. That's right. You also have, um, all the voiceover meditations that you've recorded, right? Mm -hmm. That's so, that's really cool. Yeah. So my library, my Vimeo library is up on my, 
uh, at Morgan V. Canham Instagram in the bio. You can click it. And I believe there's a seven day trial, so you can try for free. Ooh, okay. Perfect. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Morgan. Um, and thank you everyone to li- for listening. This has been Fiona Winch on Thoughtful Intentions with Morgan Cannon.